You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Welcome back to our teaching series, Citizens of Heaven. We're looking at the Beatitudes of Jesus from Matthew chapter 5. And today we're talking about sadness, sorrow, weeping, and mourning. So I hope you're having a great day today. I'm actually really excited for this teaching series. And I want you to ask yourself the question and really try and visualize, when was the last time you cried? When was the last time that you cried? I mean, try and think about where were you? Uh, how long ago was it? Were you by yourself? Were you in your room? Were you in public and you're trying to, to hide? How did you feel about the fact that you were crying? When was the last time that you cried? The reality is uh, there are kind of two extremes when it comes to mourning. On the one hand, you have people who say, I never cry. I mean, you, maybe you're like that. Maybe you've met someone like that where they just believe, you know, their personality type. Like, I'm, I'm just not someone who, who feels those kinds of emotions. Or maybe in the household that they grew up, we didn't do difficult emotions. We didn't do anger. We didn't do sadness. We didn't do those kinds of things. I, I remember years ago, the church that I grew up at, uh, there was a college student who had graduated, and he had been a core part of our church. He had actually served in youth ministry, had kind of discipled and mentored myself, my friends. And uh, he was kind of that, you know, man's man. He was one of those guys who would say he never cried. And I remember the Sunday that we were sending him off, the church was praying a blessing over him as he left, he began to you know, well up in tears, and he began to cry as he was, you know, saying thank you for being such a welcoming church. And he said, I don't, you know, I don't know what's happening, like apologizing, apologizing. And then he said, you know, the only two cry- times I've cried in my life is the day I got married and the day the Denver Broncos won the Super Bowl, because he was a super big Denver Broncos fan. So, so, so maybe you, you can resonate with that, where you feel like you just don't do sadness. And uh, if that's you, I want to be honest, my goal for you today is to make you cry, not necessarily during the teaching time today, and and I don't want to make you cry by being mean, but really my, my hope and my prayer for you would be that you would understand that it's important to feel the different emotions and process the different things we go through. And there is a time to laugh, but there also is a time to weep. There is a time to, to be sad. And today we're going to look at really some of the things that should make the people of God sad. The things that break God's heart should break our hearts as well. And so if that's you, I would challenge you to maybe go further and explore that uh, a little bit more. On the other hand, the other extreme is people who are always crying. Maybe you say, I'm always crying. Not I never cry, but I'm always crying. And maybe you're the opposite where you wear your heart on your sleeve. And once again, that might just be a, a temperament thing, a personality thing where uh, you see you know, a miniature pony and you're like, it's so cute. How'd they get him so tiny, right? And, and it just kind of like, you know, when you, when you ask the question, when was the last time you cried? You're like, uh, was it this morning or you know, last night? Like, it's just, it's just happening all the time. And I say that kind of jokingly, but at the same time, there are people who maybe you're in a place right now who say, I'm always crying because you're actually going through something that's incredibly difficult. You're going through a trial. You're going through suffering. You have loved ones in the hospital. Your relationships are crumbling. There's just crippling fear and anxiety in your life. And in all seriousness, my hope and my prayer 
for you is that God would comfort you today. That, that this beatitude, this blessing from the mouth of Jesus, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted by God, uh, that today, as we talk about mourning and weeping, that you would actually have a, a, a greater access to the comfort that God has available to you. I'll tell you the last time I cried was actually about a week ago. I was at this uh, preaching conference called The Art of Teaching in Portland. And uh, Pastor John Tyson from Church of the City, New York, gave the opening session. I think I have a picture of him on stage that I snapped as I was sitting there listening. And he gave this opening message. And really, it was about why we preach the Word of God. And he quoted, you know, that great pastor, John Stott, and his quote from him said something like, you know, we're compelled to preach. We must preach. And then, this is, this is early on in his, um, in his session, then he just asked this question. It's actually on the screen of the picture uh, that I'm showing you. Is He asked the question, must we? John Stott says we must preach the word, but must we? And then he went through and he explained all of these tensions that preachers feel. And, and maybe, uh, maybe you're not even aware that, that preachers actually deal with these kind of tensions on a weekly basis. The tensions of you know, the, the dwindling attention span of people. And how am I going to you know, engage people's attention for 30 minutes or more? Uh, we deal with things like the, the division that we see in culture and cultural issues and the criticism that comes along with that, the barrage of emails if you say something that's too far to the left or too far to the right. You know, the public criticism that you get on social media where people can tag you and comment and, and retweet and, and say how you were wrong. Uh, pastors deal with the issue of people not believing in the authority of God's word anymore. And so really just kind of the, the foundation crumbling away from the audience that you're preaching to. And he went through and he just kind of listed all of these different uh, tensions that pastors deal with. And as he asked that question, every time he said, must we? Must we? In, a, in an age that's so difficult to preach, must we? Must we? And as he said those words, tears were welling in my eyes. And they began to run down my cheeks. And, and it was just one of those moments where this guy who's been preaching a lot longer than I have, he gets it. And he's talking to a room full of preachers. And like we all felt those tensions, especially in the last year, which has been so incredibly difficult to strike the right balance and to know just how to address some of these cultural issues going on in our world Today and, and after that session, I can tell you that there was a time of worship, and, and it's not never fun to go through sadness or to be crying. But as I knelt and prayed to God during worship, I can tell you that His Spirit met me in a special and unique way, because I was mourning, because I was just honest and vulnerable with God about the difficult emotions that that come along with my vocation. And in that moment, what happened is. I was blessed by God because he comforted me. And that's really the goal of today. It's not just to get us all sad. We don't just want to be a sad church. But we want to process through the difficult things in our lives. We want to grieve well so that we can actually see the goodness of God. And I just want to ask you the same question John Tyson asked me in that teaching conference. Not must we preach, but must we mourn? Must we mourn? I mean, it's, it's hard. The things that we go through are difficult. The word that Jesus uses in Matthew 5, 4 is pentheo, and it means to mourn, lament, 
or wail. It is the strongest word available used for sadness in the New Testament. It's the normal word that accompanies the loss of a loved one. At a funeral, you would pentheo, you would, there would be wailing and weeping and mourning. This is not just blessed are those who are kind of bummed out. It's blessed are those who are deeply Mourning and sadness is not one of the fun emotions. It's one of the difficult emotions like anger and fear. Sadness is one of those. It's a result of the brokenness that we see in this world. And so it's not fun. And so we ask the question, like, must we? What are our alternatives? I mean, is there another way? Can't we just pretend that sadness doesn't exist? I think there's three main ways that we try to avoid mourning. And here are those three. The first one is we bottle it up. We bottle it up. It's the idea that, you know, you just kind of try and, like, flex your emotional muscles. And, you know, you, you'll, you'll see someone trying to hold back tears because they're embarrassed, because they think it, it shows weakness, because whatever. And it, it does show weakness, by the way. And that's okay, right? It's okay to be sad. So people will try and bottle it up. They'll bottle it up. And what happens is those emotions are going to go somewhere. Those emotions are going to, to sit around in your inside. And eventually, like if you shake a soda can, you shake it up, it'll explode. And what happens is your, your sadness may not come out in tears, but it may come out in bursts of anger and rage. And, and, and so that's not a great option, to bottle it up. It's never a good thing to bottle up our emotions because eventually it's going to overflow. And when it does, it's not going to go well. The next option is, is instead of mourning, our alternative is we can numb it. This is kind of the escape route. Uh, and many people numb their difficult emotions, their difficult feelings. This is why addiction, drug abuse, pornography, those kind of things skyrocket in times of grief in someone's life because they're just looking to medicate. They're just looking, what can I do to try and numb the pain, numb the difficult emotions that I'm feeling? And uh, it's not just you know, those kind of vices that we think about, like drugs and alcohol. People also try and numb their emotions through working too much. Uh, through relationships. They try and numb their pain through food. They try and numb it through binging Netflix or maybe even throwing themselves at a hobby so that it's all they think about. It's, It's really this idea of distracting your mind so that your heart can't process the emotions. And once again, you can only do this forever. Or you can only do this for so long, you can't do this forever. And so to numb it, and by the way, you're, you're, when you're numbing the pain, you're numbing those things, you're just delaying the process of grief. It's like being in that state of denial. It's not that you're actually dealing with it, you're just delaying it, and it's going to come back to haunt you later. That's the second option. It also is ineffective. It doesn't work. And the third option is to detach. What I mean by this is to detach is really to kind of shut off your emotional processor all together. Some people can become very melancholy, and they'll just say, well, I don't want to feel sadness, so I'm not going to feel anything at all. And so you don't have any lows, but you also don't have any highs. Uh, You don't realize that by kind of detaching from life and becoming almost like a robot, becoming almost just this somber, melancholy, just stoic kind of person, you're actually hurting yourself and your inability to feel anything and process anything at all. And once again, what a horrible way to live. So those are, I believe, three of the main ways, not those are the only ways, but three of the main ways we try and avoid mourning. And I would suggest the fourth approach is to just enter into it, is to do exactly what Jesus said. Yes, it's going to be difficult. 
Yes, it's going to hurt, but for us, we can actually understand there is a hidden blessing that comes when we mourn. We can actually meet God there in a special way. In our grief, we can see the goodness of God. So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at four biblical examples of mourning, four Bible characters, uh, four different people who mourn through different situations, and we're actually going to learn from these four, four of the different things we should be sad about and, and fill us with sorrow, and actually how God comforts us uniquely in each one of these situations. And maybe you can ask yourself the question, which one of these four characters are you mourning like today? Are you weeping like today? Or are, are you, you can relate to the most? Or maybe which one do you need to be mourning like? And you can actually grow in your ability to process through sadness. The first example is David. David gives us a, an example of someone who mourns your sins. It, it's when you, mourn, you are mourning for your own sins. And maybe you've heard of David, right? David and Goliath, famous Bible story, the little kid takes on the giant. Uh, and he would eventually become the king of Israel. And David had this, this really interesting story where he you know, ascended to the throne, he ascended, he ascended, and then he crashed and he burned. And maybe you're familiar with that story. He's called a man after God's own heart, but that didn't mean that he was sinless or perfect. In fact, he committed some of the worst sins that you can think of. Uh, he saw a woman named Bathsheba who was already married to one of his officers, and he committed adultery with her. He, he used his position and his authority as the king to kind of force her into this relationship. That's super messed up. That's incredibly sinful. To cover it up, he had her husband killed on the front lines of battle, and then he had a baby with her, and the baby ended up dying, and it was this incredibly messy, horrible, dark spot. And he didn't even, you know, think about it at the time. He was just kind of like, I'm the king, I can do whatever I want, until Nathan, a prophet of God, shows up at his door, confronts him, he uses a parable, kind of tricks him into being angry at someone who would do those kind of things, and then Nathan says those famous lines, that famous line, you are that man. And in that moment, David has a choice. He can choose to cast Nathan from his presence. He can choose to continue to abuse his power and authority as the king, or he can repent. And thank the Lord he repented and he humbled himself. And, and he actually, we have a psalm. Psalm 51 is written by David specifically about his prayers of repentance during this time of being confronted for his sin. This is what he says in Psalm 51, 16 and 17. For you, speaking of God, will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. And, and David has this just intense period of weeping and fasting and mourning, and he's laying on the ground, and nobody can cheer him up because he knows that, that what God desires from us when we've sinned against him is not hypocritical worship is not to just pretend everything's fine and go on singing songs of praise, not to pretend everything's fine and just do the good things, put the money in the offering basket, not to just do those things. What God really desires from us when we sin against him is a broken heart. So here's the practice for you if you are in a place right now like David or, or you, maybe you need to be in a place like David where you've sinned against the Lord is offer God a broken heart. Offer God a broken heart, that broken heart and contrite spirit. Don't wait for a prophet to knock on your door. 
Don't wait until you are confronted about your sin. Allow the Holy Spirit to convict you of your sin, both the sins of commission, the things you've done wrong, also the sins of omission, the the good things you haven't done. God has called you to certain good works, and you've consistently maybe grieved the Holy Spirit and shut the door and not done those things. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that's deserving of God's punishment. And so really, this is, this is why there, there's a blessing in the mourning of our own sins. I think that might be even primarily what Jesus is talking about in the Beatitudes, is when we are mourning of our own sins and we're deeply repented, it actually opens us up for healing and forgiveness. Here's the comfort that you can experience if you're mourning your own sin. You can be comforted by God's amazing grace. God's amazing grace. Though our sin makes us deeply broken and flawed and guilty before God, God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins so that we could experience new life and a victory and a resurrection just like Jesus was raised from the dead. And and the apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2, he preaches this sermon of the gospel to the Jews in Jerusalem, to all those gathered there for the day of Pentecost, and the Jews asked this question, what do we do? It says they're cut to the heart. It's a broken heart. They have a broken heart because they've heard the gospel and they know their own sinfulness. And Peter replies, repent and be baptized. And so for you today, if you've never responded to the good news of the gospel, and maybe you are cut to the heart, and if you're not, but you think you should be, maybe you just feel callous to your own sins, I would ask you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to convict you. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you the ways that you've sinned and wronged people and rebelled against God. And then once you're at that place of brokenness where you're mourning your own sin, repent, turn away from that stuff. Be baptized. Declare your faith in Jesus through baptism. We have a webpage, hillcityboise.org slash baptism. You can watch a video. If you have questions about baptism, you can sign up to get baptized on there. And it's really this declaration of faith in Jesus and this washing away of the old self, washing away the old life with, it, with its sins and transgressions. And you can be guaranteed God is faithful and righteous to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of unrighteousness. And so I would call on you to offer God your broken heart about your sinfulness and experience God's amazing grace as the comfort that comes from that. One other thing that I want to mention on this is maybe you're already a Christian. You've already been baptized. You've already declared your faith in Jesus, but you still sin. We all still struggle. I I like to say that we are works in progress. Yes, we are God's masterpieces, but we're not quite finished yet. We're still in the process of being sanctified. And for you, I would say even if you know God's grace is sufficient to cover your sins, to still actually go to that place of deep repentance. Uh, All throughout your life, Jesus teaches us to pray in Matthew 6 that, that we would forgive, that God would forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And that's a daily prayer that Jesus is thinking that we would be praying, continually seeking out God's mercy. John Chrysostom, an early church father, wrote this about tears and repentance and, and their relationship with one another. He said this, the fire of sin is intense, but it is put out by a small amount of tears. For the tear puts out a furnace of faults and cleans our wounds of sin. How beautiful is that picture? If you think about sin in your life just as a raging fire, 
And think about the tears of repentance when we are moved and we're actually sorrowful for our sins, knowing that our sin, even if, even if we're still safe, that our sins still hurt people, they do damage to us, they still affect and hurt our relationship with God, and we go to that place of repentance, tears are like a fire hose that extinguish the flames of sin in our life. And I would encourage you, even if you're already a follower of Jesus, to offer God that broken heart and experience the comfort of God's amazing grace. That's our first example. Our second example of, of mourning we see in Scripture is Jeremiah. Jeremiah is the example of mourning the sins of the world. He mourns the sins of the world. Uh, you might know the story of Jeremiah. He was called by God as a very young man to be a prophet, and he's known as the weeping prophet. He wrote another book, not just Jeremiah, but Lamentations. And he was a prophet during the time leading up to the Babylonian exile, which is just an incredibly dark period in the nation of Israel. There's generations of idolatry and pagan practices and just, you know, totally immoral ethical stuff going on in the nation. And it was a long time coming where God sent prophet after prophet to warn the people, to call them to repentance. And Jeremiah is one of the final prophets in that line to warn the people that Babylon is coming. They're going to destroy the city and they're going to ex- export people over to the Babylonian empire. And he gets to see this happening with his own eyes. And this is what we read from Jeremiah 13, 17. But if you will not listen, speaking of the people, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears because the Lord's flock has been taken captive. And, and Jeremiah sees the brokenness. And, and we see this in the world today, right? When you see things on the news about racial injustice, when you hear about human trafficking, when you see murders and, 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 and prostitution and pornography, you, you see all of the stuff going on in the world today, it should break your heart. It should break your heart. And, and we can try as best as we can to influence the world and to call people to the way of God and to preach the gospel and to do all of that. But this is Jeremiah, a prophet sent directly from God, giving messages from God to the people. And he's like, the people aren't listening. And he can see, he can see the writing on the wall. He, 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 the people aren't listening. Their pride is, is not humbling, allowing them to humble themselves before God. He knows that his messages are only going to do so much. You know, for you, that Facebook post can only do so much. If you were to go out on a street corner and stand on a soapbox and preach to people, that's only going to do so much. And so Jeremiah does what Jeremiah, what only Jeremiah can do. He prays a prayer of tears to God. And he just prays. He's like, I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to pray. And I'm going to weep for the people. I'm going to weep for the nation. So here's your practice, is pray for a move of God. In our world today, uh, we only have a limited amount of influence, and so we need to do what we can do, and then we need to pray and ask God what only God can do. Only God can change hearts. Only God can, can bring about personal renewal and regeneration in an individual. Only God can create revival in our city. And I would just say to you, allow yourself. I mean, how much, how much of the time are we weeping for the things that don't really matter? And then these big picture things that break the heart of God, we're calloused or we're ignorant of those kind of things. And I would say, weep for the things that break the heart of God and go before God in prayer and pray for a move of God. And here's the comfort when you pray that prayer of tears like Jeremiah. The comfort is that salvation belongs to our God. 
Salvation belongs to our God. In Revelation 7, verse 10, it says, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So at the end of the day, we can trust God is the only one who can save people. And that salvation, by the way, is not just the future tense, you know, when you die and go to heaven, that God's the only one who can save them right now from their sins, who can save us from the sinful generation, from, from the world that we live in. So salvation belongs to our God, and there's comfort knowing that God is still on the throne. And even if in our lifetime we don't see the renewal and revival, we can sow those seeds, our tears in the ground, sowing the seeds of revival as we pray for generations. Jeremiah saw the people go into exile, and, and, and it would be you know, generations later that people would be able to come back from that time. That's the second example of mourning. The third example of mourning is Job. Job is an example of mourning your suffering. He mourns his own suffering. And if you're like Job, you're someone who today, maybe you are mourning or weeping. You're sad about your own suffering that you're going through right now. If you know the story of Job, Job was a righteous man. He didn't do anything wrong. He was wealthy, had a good family. And then the devil comes and wrecks his life. In, in the matter of a day, he loses all of his animals, all of his wealth. He loses his health. His, he's got, you know, covered in, in boils and scabs, and, and his health is failing him, and all of his kids die. It's like this, this extreme example of pain and suffering, and he's there kind of asking this, why God? Why me? Why is this happening to me? Look at Job 16, verse 16 and 17. My face is red with weeping, and on my eyelids is deep, deep, darkness, although there is no violence in my hands and my prayer is pure. So there's Job in Job 16 saying, like, I, I didn't do anything to deserve this. And yet look at the darkness in my eyes. Look at, look at my, this, my soul. Look, look into my soul, God, and see the weeping and mourning. And maybe you're here and you're asking those kind of why God questions. And I just want to let you know God can handle your questions. He can handle your emotions. He can handle your sadness, but he may not give you an answer to the why God. He may not tell you why this is happening to you. But your practice, I think that's really helpful, is that you can actually find joy on the other side of mourning. You can find joy on the other side of mourning. And in fact, when you try and delay grief and delay sadness, it's actually delaying the joy that you can experience on the other side. Yes, the, the weeping, the sadness is going to hurt. It's going to be difficult as you go through this time. And, and we don't have to pretend. I know joy is a fruit of the Spirit, but we don't have to pretend like when Paul says rejoice always. You don't have to smile all the time. You don't have to be happy about the thing that you're going through. You can be deeply saddened and, and, and be filled with sorrow as you suffer through a situation. But don't give up on joy. Don't give up on joy. In Psalm 30, verse 5, it says, weeping may tarry or last for the night, but joy comes with the morning. The only way on the other, to the other side of the dark night of the soul is through the weeping, is through the tears, and that's when the sun begins to rise. Or in Psalm 126, verse 5, those who sow in tears, those who plant tears, will reap with shouts of joy. And, and, and so there's this beautiful promise in Scripture uh, that, that as you go through trials and suffering, you can deeply feel those things and grieve those things. But here's the comfort, right? Blessed are those who mourn. Here's the comfort you'll experience from God, the comforting presence of the Holy Spirit. 
You can have the comforting presence of the Holy Spirit. The word comfort that Jesus uses in Matthew 5, 4 is parakaleo. And in John 14, 6, Jesus promises to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit he calls, sometimes it's, it's translated helper or advocate, or as the KJV translates it, comforter, it's parakaletas. So parakaleo, parakaletas, they're, you know, they're, they're from the same root word. And really, that's a beautiful thing. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Well, where's one of our main sources of comfort when we're going through trials and suffering? The Holy Spirit of God, the, Holy, the mighty counselor. Uh, he can be with you in those deep moments of prayer. Actually, in Romans, Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8, when we don't even know the right words to say, the Holy Spirit intercedes with us with groanings too deep for word. When you're in your life, it feels like the pains of childbirth because of how difficult things are going that God is with you in the dark night of the soul. And he can, he can actually minister to you. And on the other side of that grief, there is joy to be found again. And, and one of the other ways that the Holy Spirit ministers to us is actually through the believers, through the church. The Holy Spirit dwells within every single believer. And so God can send the church to surround you, wrap their arms around you, hug you, pray for you in the midst of those difficult times. If you are like Job today, then I would say, look for the joy on the other side of the morning. Enter into that, that, that dark night of the soul and allow the Holy Spirit to be your comforter. All right, the fourth example of biblical mourning is Nehemiah. Nehemiah mourns the suffering of others. This is when you mourn the suffering of others. If you know the story of Nehemiah, it starts off, he is a cupbearer to the king. It's actually after the Babylonian exile, some of the Jews have already returned to Jerusalem. So they're coming back to Jerusalem, and others have stayed in the empire. And at this point in time, it's not the Babylons who are in charge, it's the Persians. And so Nehemiah is in the Persian empire, and he's a cupbearer to the king. So his job, get this, is to eat food and drink wine all day. That's what he does. He's in the royal palace, so he has a, a high-ranking job. I mean, that sounds like, you know, that's a hard job to do, right? You're just eating food and drinking wine. And uh, so he's in the palace. He's living the high life. He's successful, and then he gets a message that in Jerusalem, he, he finds out, you know, the, the Jews in Jerusalem, that the city wall has not been rebuilt. So people have moved back in, but they're defenseless, you know, the city wall also talks to the economic uh, status of the city, and, and so they're in poverty, and they're just struggling. What happens is, even though that's not directly impacting him, look at his response in Nehemiah 1, verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Do you notice that? He's not suffering because of what's happening to his people, but he takes that, that weeping that morning on in himself. And he has this heart of compassion. What a beautiful heart. Jesus, when he saw the lost sheep, he said, I have a heart of compassion. They are like sheep without a shepherd. And we are called to have hearts of compassion, not just, well, you know, not just when, we, when, we, uh, when we experience hunger, not just when we experience evil and injustice, but when we see that in others, we should have that Nehemiah mourning for the suffering of others. And maybe you would say, what can I do to help? What can I do? Like, what, what can I even do to help those who are in need? And sometimes there is a tangible thing you can do. You can, you can actually buy some meal. You can help. But here's our practice. If this is you, if you are weeping like Nehemiah, weep with those who weep. 
That's one of the best things that you can do. I don't know if you realize that, but you can simply weep with those who weep. It comes from Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. One of the best things that you can do to someone in your life group, to your, your spouse, to a family member, to a friend who is grieving is not necessarily to offer them advice. I mean, maybe they'll ask for advice and, and you can see what you come up with. It's definitely not to tell them why they're in the situation they're in and remind them and, and, and try and you know, diagnose, well, here's why this is happening, right? It's definitely not to do that. One of the best things you can do is to sit with them and to shoulder the burden of the difficult emotion of mourning that they're experiencing. It's to weep on their behalf and to enter into that moment. This is what Jesus did in John 11. Lazarus has died and Mary and Martha are weeping and Jesus sees Mary weeping. And the shortest verse in the English Bible, John eleven thirty five, you can this can be your memory verse this week, Jesus wept. He wept. He sees Mary weeping. And, and Jesus knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knows he's going to perform a miracle. He knows the end result will not be Lazarus still being dead. But he sees her emotion. And before he does the miracle, he enters in and he feels her emotions. And he weeps on her behalf. And so to weep out of compassion is actually to be like Christ. You know, for someone who's like, oh, you know, you know uh, real men don't cry or big girls don't cry, right? Those, those kind of sayings. Well, Jesus cried. Jesus Christ, he's the son of God. He's the savior of the world. And actually to enter into a a godly sorrow and mourning is to be like Christ. And so I would would encourage you, if you are someone who you even have been given a heart that, that can easily feel those things, is to weep with those who weep. And here's the comfort. The comfort is knowing that it's God will make all things new. It's God's job to heal. It's Jesus is the one who raises Lazarus from the dead. God will make all things new. If he has something he's calling you to do to help and to make a meal and and to help in some way, yeah, be obedient. Do those kinds of things. But God is the one ultimately who will make all things new. In Revelation 21, verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. The main things that we will experience as being gone in the new heavens and new earth is, is not only sin, we'll experience sin being gone forever, but all the things that sin results in, namely the pain and the death and the sadness. Like We don't realize this, but the sadness we feel, you, you won't have to feel for all of eternity because those things will be done away with. When Jesus returns, he's going to make all things new. And it's okay to cry those tears now because here's the blessing, they will be wiped away. Those tears will be wiped away by God. So who do you need to mourn like? Do you need to mourn like David for your own sins? Do you need to mourn, uh, do, you, do you need to mourn for, like Jeremiah for the sins of the world? Do you need to mourn like Job for, for your own suffering and situation that you're going through? Or do you need to mourn like Nehemiah for the suffering of others? However God is calling you to be a person that, that experiences that mourning and sadness, I pray that you would enter into that mourning and that you would actually be blessed for those who are mourned, for they shall be comforted. Salvation, what we don't always realize, has more to do with, with, with our life right now than we always think. 
Certainly it has to do with heaven and when Jesus returns, new heavens, new earth, the resurrection of the dead. But, but salvation really comes from the word salve, like, 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 an, like an ointment or a balm you put on a burn. And, and what happens is that the gospel is really intended to impact our lives right here, right now. When Jesus first began his ministry in uh, Luke chapter 4, Luke records Jesus going into Nazareth, his hometown, he goes into a synagogue on the Sabbath, and he's the one who's giving the teaching that day. And he opens up this scroll, and the scroll he opens up is Isaiah chapter 61. And after he gets done reading, he says, these words have been fulfilled in your midst, because he's saying this prophecy from Isaiah 61 is, in fact, about him. And so I just want to close by reading these words, this prophecy that Jesus affirmed. It is about him. And so you can receive these words, whether you're in a place of comfort right now today or you're in a place of deep mourning. I pray that these words would be comforting to you from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.